welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana from Reed Smith, and I welcome you to our podcast series regarding e-coms for financial services that we're providing with our friends from Smarsh. Today's podcast will focus on record keeping and storage requirements for e-coms at financial institutions, and basically, what is it that has to be captured? I am joined today by John Lukansky and Kieran Somoshkera, partners from Reed Smith, and Robert Cruz from Smarsh. Welcome, everybody. Let's start today with really just a high overview of what are the legal and regulatory requirements that financial institutions have regarding record keeping for electronic communications. Sure, Anthony. Hey, good morning. My name is John Lekansky. Again, I'm at Reed Smith. So with regard to financial institutions at a high level, you look to the federal securities laws, 1783 and 4, uh, primarily 1784 tells you that for communications, you're supposed to be keeping those received and sent at least for three years. And, and it, to the first two years, you've got to have it in a readily accessible place. But that's sort of the foundational base rule for financial institutions. For broker dealers uh, and member firms of FINRA, we even you know, sort of have belts and suspenders. FINRA Rule 4511 uh, imposes upon member firms sort of a, an additional requirement making reference back to 1784 for you to make sure that you keep your correspondence. And then there's there's also things like, you know, Investment Advisors Act, MIFID overseas. So there's often a, lots of different regulations around the world, if you're global, that say you got to keep, you know, electronic communications. One of the challenges that we have, and this sort of goes to the content, like, is it every communication or just some communications? Like we know, you know, there are certain specific things you have to keep, like certain types of communications for like the Investment Advisors Act and like, but the, one of the big challenges for FINRA, because it says business as such, right, which is really broad and no one knows how to interpret it. So Kieran, like, what do you do when you hear something like says, I have to keep all electronic communications for the business as such? What does that mean? Right. Well, it's a, it's a, could be a vexing standard, right? It's fairly broad and uh, there's not a whole lot of meat in the actual rule uh, to fill out what that means. Does it mean all communications that you've received and sent? Does it mean all communications that certain people have received and sent? The important part is that when you're determining what the scope of communications is that needs to be preserved, that that standard essentially is broad enough to cover you know, anything that's relevant to your business, to your firm's business. So that's kind of the first pass in thinking about it. Does that mean that you need to preserve all of the junk mail that your email addresses receive from various vendors? No, probably not. But does it mean that you want to retain all of your internal emails or at least some portion of your internal emails? Probably. And how do you determine what that is? Well, I think the the purpose of the standard being broad is to allow each member firm or each regulated entity to thoroughly review its business, analyze its business, as you all have been doing, I'm sure, and uh, and and determine what categories of communications relate to your firm's business as such, and what is required, and 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 more importantly, 
the thought process and kind of the logic that goes into formulating what communications your firms actually preserve should be documented. And the firms should publish and, and retain policies and procedures and, and frankly, keep them updated to define exactly what the scope of the communications that your company is retaining and should be able to demonstrate the thought process that went into that analysis and and the reasoning as to where where the company landed in terms of what ca- the categories of communications are that need to be retained. Yeah, and it, it shocks me all the time how few organizations actually have that, right? Like actually defining at a high level, this is what we have to capture to meet this business requirement in terms of what types of communications are like. It's, 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 you know, it, I'm always surprised that oftentimes organizations don't have that. And I think, as you said, incredibly important because when I've defended financial institutions with FINRA and the like, the first thing they ask is, where's your documentation? Like, what were you trying to capture? What's your audit trail? All that stuff. And oftentimes it's hard to find because legal and compliance may not be involved and it's just IT, which is never, never a good thing because they often don't have that. And, and you know, it's, it's important to keep in mind that this isn't easy, right? It's not easy to kind of take a very broad federal rule standard that was enacted 80 years ago or more and, uh, and apply it to the types of communications that are generated today in 2022 and going forward. It requires a lot of thought. It requires numerous, uh, if not all, facets of the business to come together, including legal and compliance, but also including information technology and the business and and kind of hashing it out and coming to uh, a, a reasoned conclusion as to what falls within that standard. And it's important to have all of your relevant stakeholders at the table uh, when formulating and updating those policies. Yeah, and let me jump on that one, Anthony, because that's where I think you know what used to be easier is no longer the case. Where you know the world of you know the approved communications used to be email and files and documents and centrally controlled systems by IT. You know we, we have firms today that are supporting over a hundred different communication sources. You know, and think about what's happened over the past couple of years, where we're all day every day on Teams and Zoom and Slack, and we've seen the social media find. So now it's become much more of a challenge to figure out which of these tools are acceptable for use for my business, that I have a reasonable method to be able to capture, store, retain, monitor. So, you know, this is not getting any simpler. And I think the arrival rate of new communication tools that we we hear, it, it doesn't stop. It's probably accelerating where it's now TikTok and Signal and Telegram and you know, the next set of things that your your Gen Z employees and clients are bringing to the table. So you know, couldn't agree more that this is a, it used to be a, a simpler problem. Now we've got a communications world that absolutely doesn't align with what the existing regulations are requiring. Yeah. You know, and, and one scary point, I mean, it just from a different perspective of looking at it, it, it would be helpful, maybe not necessarily determinative perspective, but, you know, firms may want to ask themselves, if I do have a regulatory inquiry, you know, whatever regulator you pick it, you know, comes in and asks, you know, can we see emails or, you know, messages regarding to X? That could be the perspective from which you want to answer what, what is the scope of, because you, you don't want to be in a position where, you know, the answer is, well, you know, we didn't keep those. And now that you're asking for it, we, we certainly see how they could be relevant to what you're looking at. And, and, and so, you know, keeping that in mind and having the forethought that, 
we don't want to be in a position where a regulator comes in and, you know, asks for them and, you know, we don't have them because we didn't keep them. And the, the scope seems reasonable to us now. And we should have you know, been in that place, you know, two years ago when we were deciding what scope we were going to keep. And look, and I can tell you, Robert, to your point, and I think this is where I, mean, I think there was a thought that particularly for FINRA, but for the most part, you try to keep everything right. You're trying to capture all your e-coms and everything without a lot of thought in terms of content, right? Now, as you sort of said, because of this explosion, I think now organizations are saying, do I actually have to capture this communication, right? This is this is sort of new for me. I give some examples and we can talk through this, but like, you know, one of the one of the examples that, that I struggle with are a lot of these applications, and it's not even, you know, sort of communication applications, but, you know, your, your trading databases and the like now have communications in them and the like, and you're trying to figure out, can you capture them? But a lot of them have things like help desks, right? The robots. It's the it's it's not anybody, no person communicating with you, but it's system generated stuff. It's responding automatically using AI and the like. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I think one of the questions is, do I really have to capture? Because you know, you know, Robert, because you're dealing with this, is it's not easy to say, okay, I'm capturing because a lot of them are built that way, and you have to spend a significant amount of money doing that, right? getting a license for you guys to get it in. So what are you seeing, Robert, just generally is in terms of people's approach? Is it, we're just still trying to shove everything in? Or are you seeing people actually thinking about, this is a type of communication, but I'm not going to put it in, even though it's in essence related to the business as such possibly? Yeah, I think there's two two layers to this. One, and we kind of referenced uh, FINRA. You know, if you're talking about a regulated individual, either they're a broker or an advisor, you know, the, the, the standard tends to be higher because you've got an obligation as well to supervise those communications. So, you know, it's more driven by an explicit decision. I'm going to allow this registered individual to use communication sources A through Z. And once you make that decision, then you you have to have a reliable means to be able to capture ensure that it's a complete record and understand what took place after the fact. We don't see firms slowing down per se in terms of their allowing registered individuals to use new sources because, that, like I said, that's where the business is going, at least trying to reach the retail investor. We're seeing the firms really explore the non-regulated base more in kind of trying to meet that standard of, of what really pertains to the business as such. And that's where you know the questions of do I need to capture everything that's happening in Teams? I mean, why why don't I capture a whiteboard? You know, it, it can it can start with, is there a reliable means of capture? But I, I think we see firms now also looking at the the alternative. I mean, w- what if I say it's prohibited? What are my means to be able to determine if it actually is happening anyway? So you're you're looking at both. You know, how can I do it? And then what happens if I say no? Can I really get the visibility to understand where it still may be taking place on a prohibited network? And I think, look, let's, we can talk about the elephant in the room, which is we've seen the headlines on exactly this point on the personal applications, right? Where are you capturing WhatsApp, WeChat and the like and, and text messaging? So Kieran, like, how does that play out? Because obviously that's one of the challenges that sort of Robert said is where do you draw the line? Because it's business as such. Everyone has policies say you can't use personal apps or personal devices because it may not be captured. So how do you manage that risk? Yeah, well, I mean, legally, there's no distinction drawn, right, between what we would call personal communications or corporate communications based on the device 
or the platform from which those communications originate, right? So, so the regulators don't really care whether you're talking about a WhatsApp message, a text message, uh, something that comes across in Teams or, you know, the first generation of e-communications, email or text, you know, or, or social media. If it relates to the firm's business as such, it needs to be captured. And as what Robert just alluded to, that there are many businesses that are just from a, from a risk management perspective, looking to capture communications relating to their business and, and perhaps surveil them. The distinction is not based on whether the person, the user, uh, or your employee considers the device personal or a business device or the platform, like this is my firm email versus this is my Gmail or this is my WhatsApp account. If the communication relates to the company's business, it needs to be captured. And so as Robert alluded to, you know, many for many of your firms will probably have some policies in place that restrict the variety of platforms and the scope and breadth of the platforms that people people can use. But as you've all seen in the news recently, many of the biggest financial firms on the street and in the world are uh, being hit with significant fines and penalties based on their employees and sometimes executives and officers and directors using platforms that are not supervised by those firms and they're not that they're not supposed to be using, frankly, according to the firm's policies. And, and firms are getting hit with huge fines and penalties because they're not doing enough to ensure that their policies are actually being enforced. So it's one thing to have a policy, as, as Robert alluded to, that says, hey, you can't use WhatsApp to communicate with your clients. But if you've got, I've got, I've got a client that says, hey, I'm on WhatsApp and I want to communicate with you through WhatsApp. That's how I'm going to send you stuff. You got to think about that and you got to think about how you're going to, to, to capture that and deal with that. And having a policy is not enough. And, and you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, a lot of firms would have a policy in place and then require their employees to attest on an annual basis, for example, and represent on, on a survey or on some sort of questionnaire that they are not using any other means of uh, electronic communication other than what's approved by the firm. Recently, we've seen that even that's not really enough, right? You can't, you can't just take your records that show that employees attested for the last seven years that they've not used uh, any outside of the firm devices. So because the regulators are saying, or, or platforms, because the regulators are essentially taking the position, well, look, that's nice, but that's not enough because your people are continuing to discuss your business on these platforms and you're not supervised, surveilling or supervising them. So, you know, some firms have adopted corporate device only type of policies, right? You can't, you can't really communicate with a customer unless you're on a device. And then they've, they've worked with companies like Smarsh and, and others to, to make sure that whatever goes out, comes out of a corporate device or goes into a corporate device is adequately captured. They've, they've set it up that way. But there are, you know, th these are ongoing challenges. The important thing to remember really is from the regulator's perspective, they, they want to make sure that you're thinking about this stuff and that you're thinking about and, and you're, you're thinking about all of the communications that, you know, one div business division may have generated an app that it uses that now generates another category of communications that needs to be captured, right? So as long as your compliance uh, and legal functions, but not just your compliance and legal functions, your risk functions and your business itself is constantly thinking about this issue and how it presents risks to the business and to the individuals in the business, you're on the right path. You're on the right path to kind of adapting your policies. The other thing is 
you have to adapt your policies to the times. You can't simply rest on, hey, we've had this policy in place for a couple of years. It's worked. We haven't had any problems. The pace of technology is faster than the pace of policies generally. And it's important to make sure that you're reviewing your policies at least every every year, if not more frequently, and adapting them and amending them to capture technological change as your company's encountering it. And one thing I want to touch upon is, because this is the challenge that a lot of organizations have, is they know that people use these things, right? Text messaging in particular, and they don't want to necessarily capture it because it's, you know, capturing all of your text messaging would be overwhelming. And putting in, in essence, content type exceptions within the policy. So we have some clients that have in their policy, can't use text messaging, WhatsApp, whatever, except if it's for administrative purposes, meaning I'm running late to the meeting or whatever, because trying to reflect the reality of what happens and putting that exception in the policy. Unclear to me whether that's good or bad, but we're seeing people do that. And this is where I was going before is, do you also document things like, you know, we're having this conversation before, like, you know, for emergency systems where you, they send out these texts and saying, are you in the office, right? Is that something that has to be captured? Does it really business as such? Like that's a big pain in the ass to do it if you had to do it. So, and there's a cost associated with it. But then the question is, do you document that? Do you just sort of assume you don't worry about it? Is it in the policy? So it's clear. What do you, what do you guys think? I don't know, John, if you have some thoughts on this is like how much you put in the policy and how much do you just sort of leave the common sense, I guess. I think you would behoove yourself to maybe build in the common sense into the policy so that there's, there's no, so it's nice and black and white and there's no gray. You know, I also think that, the, that it wouldn't hurt to have some regulatory guidance on this issue. And maybe that's something that firms want to seek, you know, like your example, Anthony, the, the emergency and notice, you know, we want to make sure that you know, our employees are safe and we're running a drill or, or it's a real emergency. We want to make sure everybody's safe and, you know, accounted for, you know, to me, that's an administrative action. It's not related to the business as such, you know, maybe you don't, you know, keep one or you keep a record that one was sent out, but you don't necessarily have to keep all, you know, all the versions that were sent out to the people. Because like you mentioned, that would be a bit onerous. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think maybe some regulatory guidance would be helpful eventually, but, you know, building it into your policy, building that common sense into your policy would be a good idea. Yeah. And if I could add to that, I think regulatory guidance in terms of specific modalities, you know, should you capture voice recordings as an example? I don't know that that's going to happen because it feels like the regulators are moving in the direction of it's a, it's this one bucket of digital communications, you know, not distinguishing one form of technology from another. It, it goes back to how do you determine context, you know, and in some of these modalities, it's harder than, than others. But, you know, back to the policy tuning or granularity of policies, you know, I think what, what the recent finds have, have, have taught us is that it's not sufficient just to say this network is prohibited. It, it's it's got to go beyond that in terms of, you know, what Karen said earlier, how, what's the rigor to which you're enforcing that policy? You know, how do you see that you don't have a compliance gap? Because compliance gaps don't go away. You know, the difference between what your business is actually using and what your policies say, well, there'll always be a delta. It used to be personal devices, then it became text messaging. And now with some of these, you know, these social apps, but it's, there's going to be another one because once you catch up to the one there will be evolution and a new tool that that individuals will be drawn to. But 
finding a method to do this systemically where you can inspect where these communications, looking for fragments and breadcrumbs where individuals might be engaged on Discord. I mean, we see firms doing that just to ensure that they have you know, a, a read on what prohibited network activity may be happening inside the company. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I won't take credit for the idea because it belongs to someone else, but, you know, the whole idea of updating your lexicon, I mean, not just a policy, but the lexicon itself so that you're up as, you know, much you can be to the times and the new technology. That's got to be something that's on the list of folks, you know, to, to do on a regular basis. And, and Robert, you, you, you're seeing, you're seeing firms do that, right? I, include search terms, for example, like, you know, WhatsApp or Snapchat or, or yeah, I mean, that, those are rudimentary search terms, but updating their lexicons and their surveillance tools to account for the increased use and proliferation of these communications apps. Absolutely. I mean, on the lexicon side, it's pretty simple. And we've been advocating this for, for a while, in particular around text messaging, where you can see, here's a potential red flag. I see something that says, let's take this offline or whatever the phrase is. Now it's around particular networks. So that's that's something that I think now is getting complemented by natural language processing and surveillance technology because you know there 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 may be communications that you can't detect with a lexicon or a policy and there's just a ton of false positive firms have to deal with and so AI and NLP is kind of another way to be able to sort needles across haystacks to determine if something else is happening that you may have missed within the lexicon so both things are happening so just just to move on from from that, one of, one of the challenges that we've seen in terms of identifying you know what to capture is we we do have a lot of organizations that sort of have this shared services model where someone other than the broker dealer or the investment advisor is helping the business. How do you deal with that, John? Well, sure. So you know it all starts. We'll take a broker dealer for example. You know they have a duty to supervise, and while they can delegate that duty to others, to parents, corporate parents, to, to help them out with certain functions if you're going to centralize those functions. Broker-dealer still has the responsibility to make sure it's carried out correctly and the buck stops with you know, the broker-dealer, even though you know, corporate-wise and corporate you know, structural-wise, the, the enterprise sits maybe on top of the, the broker-dealer. For the purpose of that function, the broker-dealer has to make sure the enterprise is actually doing the job and they're doing it correctly. So you, they never lose that responsibility. But yeah, we've seen that particularly in, in email collection, review, retention, that, that I don't want to use the word farming out, but you know, sharing services with other business units, whether it's cost you know, effectiveness or expertise or the like, that's how folks handle it. But that doesn't change the dynamic. I mean, on those regulated entities that have the obligations, the fact that your parent now is doing some of the function for you, although you retain responsibility for it, it doesn't change the who, what, and where. I mean, it's you still have to retain the same email. You still have retained the same communications. You still have to review it the same way. Just because the enterprise is doing it doesn't, you know, doesn't relieve you of all that. So one final thing as we close up, I want to talk a little bit about the storage requirements and the right one read many requirements that are in the regs. Robert, I know the SEC has been looking at this for a while and saying they're going to change it. We've seen some movement on the CFTC where they lessened the obligations. What are you What are you seeing in terms of forum storage? We're watching this pretty closely because obviously if, if they modify the standard, it affects how firms need to think about their storage architecture and kind of where the data lives. You know, and, and just, you know, clearly 1784 was written a long time ago. 
you know, it, it talks about spinning disks and floppy drives and, you know, cassette recorder. I mean, just the technology is clearly past what 1784 was originally written for. So the, the direction appears to be, and this is going to be finalized in October, is that they're relaxing the standard so that it's technology agnostic and that firms now have the ability to reconstruct a record, you know, as an alternative to actually preserving the original record immutably. So essentially, it's given firms the, 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 the window to be able to look at consolidated audit trail and other forms of technology that are more modern. But I think the spirit of it is don't worry about the technology per se. Make sure that you have the policies and procedures and oversight so that you can maintain the record in its original context without gaps, without you know, questions of, you know, is this record complete or not? So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the industry responds to this. But as you know, what we've heard from the SEC, it, it, it is coming. It's it's an October release post-comment period that, that we expect to see this. Yeah. I think it's unclear whether it's going to really alleviate any of what we just talked about in terms of putting things in a messaging archive that's worm for e-coms. I think it may have some, it may help a little bit on some of the other types of documents, but it's hard just because of all the things we talked about, whether you could actually do what we're doing outside of a, a messaging archive. But right. And I, and I think it's going to come down to, you know, is, is there a cost advantage of doing this? Is it potentially more complicated in having to reconstruct a, ro- a record sitting in multiple locations if you've got to do supervision? And is it creating an additional risk? So I think firms will look at it along those three dimensions as they, they typically do. Well, thanks, guys. This was great. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this podcast. It's a podcast series, so we'll have others. And thanks for joining Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com. And our social media accounts at Reed Smith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.